Well, we are in week three of this series where we've been taking a look at questions that people have about faith or about God or about the Bible, but might be too nervous or afraid to ask. And over the course of the next two weeks, we're going to take a look at two questions that people tend to have about church. And I'm not talking about necessarily North Cross Church specifically, but about church in general, about the Christian church across the world. And the question that we're going to be unpacking and answering and taking a look at today is this one. Why are there hypocrites in the church? Or or maybe for some of you, maybe you've been a little bit uh, skeptical about church or haven't been around church for a while, and maybe the question for you is, why are there so many hypocrites in the church? And usually when this question gets asked or gets thought about, it, it tends to be connected to an experience that people had with the church or with a Christian that wasn't good that caused them to to question what the church and what Christians are all about. And I think one of the things that I just need to start with today as someone who gets to be a pastor and in some ways represent a church and, and God in certain capacities is this, that I acknowledge that the Christian church across the centuries and right now is not perfect that Jesus is perfect, but the Christian church has not been. And there are are things in, in the past in the Christian church that the only way that you could label them is wrong and sinful and bad. And that's something that we as Christians need to acknowledge and understand, that the Christian church is not a perfect place. It never has been, and it never will be. I mean, even just within the last um, couple months, there are things that we hear on the news that get us to wonder about the Christian church. And so today, what we're taking a look at is, you know, why are there hypocrites in the church? Why, why does it feel that way? And well, when it comes to what a hypocrite is, here's a definition. A person who acts in a way that goes against what he claims to believe or to feel. We see evidences of this, I suppose, in the church. Like I mentioned, just even a couple months ago, within the last couple months, there was a pastor of one of the biggest churches in the entire world that had to step down from being a pastor because some of the things he had done were wrong and harmed people in his church. Um, I think about some of the pastors, some of the influential pastors and leaders in our country over the last even just 10 years, how many of them have had to step down because of things that they have done. Other people consider and wonder about hypocrites in the church because as they, they look at Christians in America, 
They tend to get the feeling, and some of this is unwarranted, maybe some of it is warranted, that we do a much better job as Christians of pointing out other people's faults and where other people are wrong, but maybe don't do as good of a job of admitting when we're wrong and what our faults are. I was trying to think in my own life about times where I've felt this feeling of being hypocritical And there's a moment that I've always thought back to in my life. And the reason why it stuck out is because I never really, I never wanted this to happen again. Uh, Some of you may know that the studying, writing, memorizing, and preaching a sermon in a week uh, is a pretty all-consuming thing. And the weekends especially tend to, uh, and I'm getting better at this, just consume my mind, consume my heart. And if you lived in my home, if I was your husband or your father, you would recognize that I tend to, on preaching weekends, again, I'm getting better at it, become a little bit short, a little irritable sometimes, and I'm generally not there for the family as much as, you know, I would like to be. So I remember this time, it was probably about 15 years ago, we were living in the parsonage, the, the church was just across a field, and about 10 minutes before um, the Saturday night service was to start, I instigated, because of my irritability, an argument with Carrie. And neither of us yell very loudly at each other, but it was clear that this was an argument And even as I was walking out the door to walk over to church and be nice to people, I was arguing and fighting with Carrie as I slammed the door. Two minutes later, good evening, people. You know, it's great to see you at church tonight. And then here was the kicker. This is the part why I remember it. Because the sermon that week was something around how to show Christ-like love in your marriage. (laughs) And I had to stand up in front of people. The next day, in front of my wife, I almost encouraged her not to come, dear, <laughs> and to share what Christ-like love looks like in a marriage, even though in my heart, in my mind, I'm like, I am horrible at this. You know, the question is, why are there hypocrites in the church? And I suppose part of the answer is our first fill-in for today. That there's a little bit of hypocrite in all of us. There are people who say one thing and then do another in church. And there are people who say one thing and then do another at your work. There are people at school who act one way when they're around one group of friends and then act entirely a different way when they're around a different group of friends. And there are adults who, when they are in certain friends' groups, they act one way and speak one way around one group of friends and do something exactly opposite around another group of friends. There are Christians who believe something with all their heart and then act differently than what they believe. And there are non-Christians who believe something with all their heart and then act differently than what they say or believe. I recently read a little joke. It was about a guy who had a neighbor who was a pastor. 
And for years, the pastor was just kind of giving little encouragements to his neighbor who didn't go to church to try out his church, to come to church and to visit his church. And after a couple of years of this, the, uh, the neighbor very nicely said, you know, pastor, um, I appreciate you continuing to encourage me, but I just want to be honest with you. I don't think I'm ever going to come to your church. There's too many hypocrites at church. The pastor seemed unfazed. He said, I I understand what you're coming from and I have good news for you. We still have room for another one. (laughs) Here's the point. Anyone who has standards for morality and life will find themselves sometimes violating those standards. Anyone who has certain standards for their life will find themselves violating those standards at times. And this is not just a Christian thing. Let's be real. Let's be honest. But it does, it does happen to Christians as well. In fact, probably one of the, the greatest Christians who ever lived was a first century pastor named Paul. And many of you know this, but he... Um, not only was uh, a strong Christian, but he also happened to write uh, more than half of the New Testament. He planted churches all around the Mediterranean Sea. But one time when he was writing a letter to some Roman Christians, he gave us a little bit of an insight into the struggle that goes on inside of him, even though he had been changed by Jesus. He wrote this in Romans chapter seven. He wrote, I know that good does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. So even though he is now a child of God, even though that Jesus is now in his life, Paul confesses, and I'm so glad he does because if he didn't, I might wonder about my my own faith and about who I was. But he says, this is in my sinful nature for I have the desire to do what is good, but I... I can't carry it out like I want to, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like even with the best of intentions, you don't get things the way you'd like to? Why? Why does that happen? We all recognize it. Why does that happen? It's because, Paul says, of sin. Because of sin that lives in us. And because of that sin, well, let's think of it this way. There is a gap in us. There is a gap in our lives. And the gap looks like this. There is the aspect of what God wants us to do. And then over here, it's what we actually do. And there's a gap in between. It's what Jesus is and who we are, what God tells us to think and how we think, what God tells us to say (laughs) and how we speak. And in every single one of our lives, there is a gap between those two things, that we do not get this right all the time. And sometimes in some days it might feel like we don't get it right much of the time. What I'd like to to do with the rest of the time that we have together today 
is to take a look at what are some things that we can do internally to address the gap that all of us experience and know. And the reason why this is important for us to address this, there's two things I want to bring out. The first is, if we don't address the gap, it has the potential to make us miserable. I still remember how I felt that day when I stood up in front of the congregation preaching about something that I just failed miserably at. It, it makes you feel guilty. It makes you feel heavy. And so it's good for us to address this gap because it has the potential to make us miserable. The other thing that's true is it has the potential to turn people away from Jesus. When people who wear the name of Jesus don't live and act like Jesus, it causes people who don't know Jesus to have questions. And we just have to acknowledge that. It's true. There was this quote given by uh, an author named uh, Brennan Manning. And you might not agree with how extreme it is, but I would say that all of us would agree that there's some semblance of truth in it. He wrote that the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. In, in a book that a Christian author wrote not too long ago, as he, he did a survey of America, two of the characteristics that rose to the top for people who are skeptical of church were that Christians were judgmental and hypocritical. And you may not agree with that. I don't totally agree with that because I know a lot of Christians that aren't that way. But whether we agree with it or not, we need to recognize that this is true. <laughs> and those who wear the name of Jesus, how they live and how they act, reflect on Jesus. So, it's interesting, when you read through the four biographies of Jesus and you look at how he interacted with people and who he got the most frustrated with and upset with, do you know, do you know what group it was? I'll give you a couple options. You can either choose the unchurched people who were considered to be the, the big sinners of the day, the adulterers, the tax collectors, those types of people. Or option B, the church people who looked on the outside like they had it all together, who went to church, who knew the word, and in some cases even led the people. Well, if you chose B, you're right. Jesus over and over got the most frustrated, the most upset with the church to people who didn't live out their faith or who led people in a wrong direction. And so one time he shared a story, a parable 
to teach about this, which fits really well for us today. We're going to turn to Luke, Luke chapter 18. Here's what Jesus said. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. A parable is, when I was a kid, learned this meaning, a, a heavenly or an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It was an illustration that Jesus used to teach a point. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, that's a church leader, and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Now, some of you have, have heard the term Pharisee before. In fact, we actually use it nowadays to describe a certain type of person. But in the New Testament, this was a group of Jewish church leaders that were considered to be the best of the best in spiritual ways. Um, they knew the word, they taught the word, they memorized the word of God. Um, by their example, outwardly, they were seen to be people who had it again all together. And this particular uh, Pharisee, he didn't just fast once a week, he fasted twice a week. He didn't just give a tenth of certain uh, blessings or certain income. He gave a tenth back to the Lord of all that he had. He was someone who looked on the outside like he had it all together. But then we heard him pray. And we noticed what was going on on the inside. Do you notice all the, the eyes? I mean, his entire prayer was, Lord, I just want you to know, in case you didn't see how good I am and how much better I am than you know, the people around here, and especially that tax collector back there. And I think from the outside looking in into the story, we, we see clearly, obviously, the discrepancy here and the pride that this Pharisee had. I'm going to say it this way, that he was so full of himself that there was no room for God. Which leads us to uh, our second fill-in for today. And when I, I tell you this fill-in, when we look at it, I, I, want you to, I want you to think about it, not in realm of someone sitting next to you, not in the realm of, yeah, I know someone that just needs to be honest to, with who they are. I, I just want you to think about this for your own mind and your own heart, that one way to fight hypocrisy in our own lives, is that we need to be honest about who we are. We need to be honest about ourselves. See, hypocrisy, it does come in all shapes and in all different sizes. That gap between what we should be doing and what God wants us to do and who we are and what we are doing. But the type of hypocrisy that Jesus had the most difficult time with, because everyone he interacted with was sinful, everyone he interacted with knew God's law and plan, but didn't carry it out or didn't do it, the type of hypocrisy he had the biggest difficult, difficulty was this type. 
when we are unable to be honest with who we really are. It's putting on a show with acting one way in certain groups, but acting differently in other ways. It's this dishonesty with who we are and this difference between how we act in one place or in another. In uh, the 23rd chapter of Matthew's biography of Jesus, um, he records Jesus talking about, um, uh, the, the heading is seven woes. <laughs> Sounds kind of heavy. And it was. Seven different ways that Jesus called out the church, the leaders of the church for hypocrisy. I, I want to just read two of them for you. You can read all of them if you'd like um, on your own. But Jesus says in verse 25, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish. You, you act on the outside like you got everything together, but you've forgotten about the inside. But inside, you are full of greed and indulgence. Or verse 27, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. Pretty self-explanatory. He's talking about a coffin or an actual tomb that looks really nice on the outside, but you know what's on the inside of a coffin. You know what's on the inside of a tomb. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, a tomb or a coffin is filled with bones of the dead and everything that is unclean. You're concentrating so much on the outside but you're not being real and you're not being focused on the inside. It's, it's, like, it's like going on a date and you clean and wax and detail the outside of your car, guys. But on the inside, there's crumbs everywhere and lunch from two weeks ago and it's just filthy. What good is it to clean the outside if the inside has not been addressed. And there's a lot of different attitudes that can lend itself to this type of living or thinking. But the one that I think is at the heart of it, the one that I want to focus on today is this. It's self-righteousness the inability to see or to admit who we truly are. You know, we all have this inborn tendency towards self-righteousness. In fact, um, I was reading a book, one of my uh, favorite leadership authors is, a, he's a Christian, his name's Patrick Lencioni. In one of his books, he, he wrote about something that he calls the fundamental attribution error that he has found in people that we have the tendency that when it comes to uh, things that aren't right, that when someone in our lives or someone we work with show an attitude uh, that is, uh, or a behavior that isn't good, we tend to, for them, chalk it up to their character But when we show some of those same behaviors or attitude, we end up chalking it up to environment 
or circumstances. He, he gave this example in his book. He said, if I see a dad at the grocery store scowling at his five-year-old daughter and wagging his finger in her face, I'm likely to conclude that the guy has an anger problem and needs counseling. But if I find myself scowling and wagging my finger at my five-year-old, I'm likely to conclude that my behavior is caused by my unruly child or that I'm having a really tough day. Isn't that true? We're, we're masters at finding excuses for our behavior. It's his fault or it's her fault or it's culture's fault or even it's, it's God's fault. And the truth is, sometimes Christians come off unloving and angry because they are unloving and angry. And we as a church and as Christians, we need to own that. If you're feeling a little bit heavy right now, I understand. I do too. But I want to point out someone who was entirely, entirely different. You see, Jesus came to this world and he wasn't self-righteous, but he could have been. You know what Jesus had? Jesus had perfect righteousness. And he came down into this world and he could have said, Father, I'm so glad that I'm different than all of the people around here. I mean, it is a mess down here. I can't wait to get out of here. And then he could have left. And he had every right. He was the only person who's ever lived who had the right to be in some ways self-righteous. And yet he wasn't, was he? He was the opposite of that. He had Jesus the perfect son of God had the ability, the uncanny ability to be absolutely perfect and yet to not come off as judgmental. One pastor said it this way, that people who are nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. That he was invited over to the homes of tax collectors to eat and never once, never once did Jesus ever condone sin. Never once did Jesus ever, you know, minimize the law of God. He understood it perfectly. And yet at the very same time, he was able to love and to care. And will he do that better than we can? Yes. But can we do better? Yes. Yes, we can. And then ultimately, Jesus showed that love as he took all of our sin and our hypocrisy onto his back, onto his self, and he nailed it to with him on the cross so that although we might at times be hypocritical, 
Christians? That that is not who we are. That is how we act sometimes, yes. But that we find, number three, our identity in Jesus and what he has done for us and the guilt that we might have when we say as a mom or as a dad or as a worker or as a child or as a boss, when we say one thing and do another, you know, let's close that gap. Let's work on it. But we don't need to carry it around with us because Jesus, who had perfect righteousness, took it to the cross with him and has given us our real identity as child of God. As we close, let's look at the tax collector. But in contrast, the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I I tell you that this man, this tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, just imagine how radical this was, for these people to hear 2,000 years ago. It was the tax collector that went home justified, declared not guilty before God. And all who exalt themselves, their own glory, in how good they are, at some point they will be humbled. But those who humble themselves and recognize their sin and their need for Jesus, they will be exalted You know, from outward appearances, the tax collector and the Pharisees, Pharisee, they were on opposite ends of the spectrum. No one liked tax collectors. And it's a long story, but at the the heart of it, it was that not only were they traitors working for the Roman government, but they also got rich off of their own people by trying to grab as much as they could from their countrymen and their countrywomen, (laughs) And at some point in this tax collector's journey, I know it was a story, but thinking through the story a little bit, he must have come to recognize that he was not able to find his happy in stuff, in the things of this world. And he just needed to do something with that guilt. And instead of trying to find some sort of self-righteousness, what he did is, He confessed it. He repented. And he was forgiven. One very practical habit when it comes to fighting hypocrisy and helping get rid of guilt is to just do this. Fight self-righteousness with a daily habit of repentance. Be honest with who you are. And then recognize who you are forgiven through the lens of the cross and of Christ. Here's the question. Why are there hypocrites in the church? Because Christians struggle with sin. Just like everyone else. So if you're someone checking out North Cross. And you were hoping that you found the perfect church, you're going to be sorely disappointed because we are not. 
We are a church made up of people who don't get things right all the time. We are a church that's made up of sinners. Sinners who in the eyes of God are forgiven and made perfect. Sinners who recognize that we would be nothing without the cross. And for those of you who are Christians, number four, a reminder that your life is a witness. I mentioned this at the beginning, but it's good to remember. People form their opinion about Jesus based on people who wear his name. And the Christian church and the Christians are the people who make up the church would be good to remember that and to recognize that. And will you get it right all the time? Absolutely not. Does this need to scare you? No. But I do think it should inspire us, especially at this time in our country, especially at this moment in our country's history, that God created us to be lights reflecting his love and his care. And that's exactly what we can be, exactly what we can do. Sharing the love of Jesus that changed our lives, sharing that same love with others. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for changing our lives, that when your son Jesus came to this earth, that um, although he was perfect, he did not hold that over people's heads, but instead he came to serve, which is amazing. We thank you that he served us even on the cross as he took on our sin. And for hypocrites like us, we thank that you, that you gave us forgiveness through his sacrifice. Lord, I pray that each one of us would recognize that the things we say and the things that we do make a difference and that we would work each day to close that gap and to recognize what a great opportunity we have to reflect in the things that we say and do, who saved us and who we live for. Your son, Jesus, and it's his name we pray this. Amen.